Hello and welcome. If you're joining us on YouTube, you can see I got Wrigley Field in the background behind me. Happy opening day. Now, I know this is going out on Friday, but we're recording these episodes on Thursday. It's March 30th. It's opening day. It really should be a national holiday as far as I'm concerned. I, I'm so excited for this baseball season. It felt like winter has just dragged on, at least here where I'm located in the Midwest. And I am so excited that baseball is back. And I'm really excited for the Cubs. If you follow us on social media, you can tell I'm a, I'm a pretty big Cub fan. You know, I'm in my mid-40s now. And as I talk about with, with my students that, that I teach, uh, being a college professor, you know, when I was young, when I was in my 20s and when I was their age, I had a lot of time for sports. I could follow a, a number of different teams. You know, I, I was a big Colts fan and Pacers fan and an IU basketball fan, um, and, and in addition to be a big Cub fan. Um, but, you know, you get older, you have a family, you've got other responsibilities, certainly full-time job. It just gets a little bit tougher. So I only have room in my life for one team for me to obsess over, and that is the Chicago Cubs. I promise this episode will not be all things Cubs or a complete Cub love fest, but I would be remiss if I did not give them a little bit of love today for my favorite sport, baseball, and my favorite team, the Cubs. But that's not important. Welcome to the uh, Facts Over Fandom show, almost called it by a different name from a different podcast I did, but welcome to the Facts Over Fandom show. We're looking at sport at the intersection of culture and business. Please, if you haven't already, Give us a follow. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at FOF underscore show, FOF underscore show, Twitter and Instagram. And check us out. Like I said, we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash FOF underscore show. Try to keep that consistent for everybody. And please, 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 if you're listening to us on the podcast, please check us out on Spotify, kind of the unofficial home for the Facts Over Fandom show. So today's topic, and I always like to get into a, a topic, and then we've got our dream job segment at the end. And in today's dream job, we're going to be talking about working in professional sport. Specifically, we're going to stick with baseball. And I bet you can never guess what team I'm going to bring up today um, based on the open. But I want to talk about youth sport development today. So we've kind of got a baseball-themed show. And my son is going to turn four in June, and he starts t-ball this this summer. He is so excited to play t-ball, to finally play baseball. I think I've probably had a bat in his hand um, ever since the time where he could actually stand up um, before he could even walk. I had a bat in his hand and he loves playing baseball when we're at home. He's got his kind of wiffle ball bat and we got some some softballs that I'll toss. And I mean, he's, he's not even four yet. Like I said, he doesn't turn four for a couple more young months, but even from the time he was maybe in his late twos, early threes, he's been able to actually hit pitching that's lobbed to him. Right now, you know, me as a dad, I can't, you can't look too much into that. It means nothing at this stage other than he really enjoys playing baseball. And that's what's important, giving him a appreciation for play, appreciation for fun and appreciation for doing something that he really enjoys that maybe or, or he may not be good at, you know, right now as far as his motor skills, a little more advanced, but again, it, it you cannot read anything into that right now. I have no idea if he's going to be good enough to play in the pros college, let alone even be able to make a varsity team when he's in high school. 
right? So he starts um, playing T-ball this summer, and we had our coaches meeting last week. And it got me thinking, I, I really like the league that my son's going to be in because what they emphasize with these coaches, and I think they go from ages four through through 12, is fun. The kids have to have fun. We have to make it fun. So one of the things that I, I talk about and, and I really enjoy researching and, and speaking on as a, as a sport management professor in my full-time job is youth sport development. I think we've got a long way to go here in the United States, you know, all over the world, but, you know, certainly here in the United States on how we best develop our youth athletes. You know, uh, youth athletics has become so professionalized because there is a ton of money to be made in youth sport that people are making money, but is it really what's best for the kids? You know, is putting them in these travel teams when they're eight, nine years old with intense competition, parents paying thousands of dollars, is that best for the kids? So we're going to get into that today. And, you know, I certainly don't want to make this show a, a lecture um, at all, but I do want to bring in some information and some research that you may have never gotten before and talk about a better way to develop youth athletes. Because here's the question that I got for you. Why do we play sport? What is the goal of sport? So I, I talked about it last episode, only about one to two percent of of high school athletes are going to get a college scholarship at, 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 at any amount, right? I'm not talking about just full rides. I'm talking about getting, you know, any aid to be able to play um, college athletics. Only about five to 6% actually go on to play college athletics, but only about one to 2% might get some money to actually do that. Because just because you're getting a scholarship um, to, to be a college athlete doesn't mean it's a full ride. Um, there's only six guaranteed head count sport in college athletics. And they're all at the NCAA division one level, right? As opposed to equivalency sports. And that might be something that we get into in a later podcast. So your opportunity of getting a full ride scholarship in, um, in athletics, extraordinarily small, right? So, and, and then out of that, out of the college ath athletes, only 1% are going to play pro in any, in any level, right? So, what do we do sports for? What's the goal? I mean, the odds are overwhelmingly against you to become a professional athlete, but we really push kids into competition at an early age, um, putting a lot of hours, a lot of travel, a lot of money um, in to being an athlete. So as a parent, what's our ultimate goal in having these kids play? And I think when I think about sport, you know, I, I think about all the great things that you learn through sport, right? dedication, time management, teamwork, sacrifice, hard work, being dependable, right? Um, overcoming obstacles, overcoming adversity, overcoming differences on a team and integrating with people who are different from you, right? And these are all life lessons that we have to learn and continue in our professional careers. Because I certainly wasn't good enough to be anywhere near a professional athlete. But those things that I learned as a youth sport athlete, I've carried along with me in my career you know, for, for over the past uh, 20 years. And I'll continue to continue uh, to carry them with me as uh, a professional in my field, 
right? Outside of being a, 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 a pro sport athlete. Now, I have my phone on me. So, you know, Cubs, any year you want to call and you're looking for that second baseman, I, I'm a, I'm available. Uh, I just don't think they have much of a need for a, a washed up mid 40s um, second baseman with limited range. So with that in mind, I do want to share something with you. And again, I told you, I don't want this to turn into a college lecture. But if you're watching on YouTube, I am going to share my screen because there, I want to show you a few slides that I do use in one of my classes as we're talking about youth sport athletics. So let me talk a little bit about the history, the benefits of youth sport, um, talk about the business side of things and, and how people are able to make a lot of money in youth sport. And then we'll end up with just a better model for youth sport development. So the history of youth sport, it really expanded from working class activity, you know, prior to World War II to now it includes all social classes. So just about everybody is involved in youth sport. It isn't something that's just kind of, again, I, I've used this phrase before, it's not really an opiate of the masses to, to kind of keep people occupied or, or something that the lower class did because they weren't doing higher class things in the arts. You know, everybody at all socioeconomic levels are involved in sport. And so Little League Baseball, they began in 1939 and, you know, it's grown over the years um, to now, you know, Little League Baseball World Series is broadcasted on ESPN every summer. And so the majority of sport um, until the 1970s, about the mid-1970s, early 1970s, was really geared towards boys. And then Title IX comes, out, comes around in 1972, and then girls are starting to get more opportunities. But if we look at high school sport prior to 1972 and um, – Title IX being enacted, about 99 cents of every dollar was spent on boys sport as opposed to girls sport, right? And so we've seen this evolu evolution over the years where sports for kids really started as play, right? Not necessarily organized, not travel teams, not... Um, institutionalized in the way in the way where okay everybody's on this team and you've got these uniforms and you've got this schedule and we've got these rules i mean i was born in 1980 and grew up in the 80s and in the 90s i think my favorite memories of playing sport as a kid were in my neighborhood just playing baseball in people's backyards you know, I love that. If I could go back to being nine or 10 years old and playing with my buddies and arguing over ghost runners, you know, I'd do it in a heartbeat because, you know, that was as a kid, some of the best times of my life. Now, you know, having a kid and um, having a family, I'm on a different side of that. You know, I wouldn't give that up for the world because it's just absolutely fantastic. You know, as a kid growing up, that was just so much fun. And, and the actual little league games I played were fun and, and organized basketball was fun, but just being with friends in play was so much fun. So I, you know, I was joking about ghost runners there just a second ago, you know, playing youth sport, it also gives kids some leadership skills, negotiation skills on how do I navigate these difficult conversations in these difficult situations? And you may not think arguing over a ghost runner is a difficult situation, but kids do need to learn things on their own without parents being involved to try to shepherd them on every single decision, right? So I thought those were really, really beneficial things that I had as a uh, as a kid. And I want to look at this um, 
this graphic here. And, you know, if you're listening to us on the podcast, I'll do my best to explain this, but uh, also check us out. We're also a visual show, um, low rent visual show, but we're also a visual show on YouTube, youtube.com slash FOF underscore show. So three things youth athletes should not do, right? One, youth athletes should not participate in multiple leagues of the same or different sports at the same time, right? Youth athletes' bodies are not the same as adult bodies, right? Their minds are not the same, right? It's different. Kids need recovery. They need rest. They need to be in multiple different activities, not just one specializing in one sport or trying to do two sports at the same time. What we see with that in the research is that these youth sport athletes who are in these multiple sports or in their sports year round, um, they're more at risk of burnout and they're more at risk at repetitive use injuries. So I might talk a little bit, I'm going to talk a little bit more about specialization going forward here. I'm not saying if a kid just loves playing baseball, that he has to do other sports. I think it's good for the child. I think it makes that child a better athlete. But what I am saying is that if they want to play baseball and they know it and they love it, I don't want to do anything else. That's fine. But let's kind of look at this from like a, a macro cycle of your year. Right. And what are the micro cycles within that? You know, let's dedicate time for practice, dedicate time for competition, dedicate time for rest and recovery. Right. Two, youth athletes should not participate in more hours of organized sport per week than their age. So if the child is 10, they shouldn't be participating in organized sport more than 10 hours a week. I think it's just a good rule of thumb. Now, um, there's going to be some individual differences regarding that. But as a rule of thumb, they shouldn't participate in more hours of organized youth sport um, than their age per week. And again, that helps with um, prevent injuries and repetitive use injuries, especially if you think of people like um, uh, pitching pitchers who could have some problems with that. And we want to build the whole child. We want to build a whole athlete. Um, so not giving them the opportunities to play multiple sports at different times, it's not going to develop some of those athletic skills that they might have if they only played one sport. And again, kids are can be suspect to burnout. Um, so we've got to be a little bit careful making sure they've got um, thinking about things a little bit more holistically in their life, not just dedicating everything in their sport, but what are other outlets that these kids can have to learn and grow? Right. And then three, youth athletes should not play one sport more than eight months of year. So I just talked about that. We've got a, a, an issue here in this country where we've, we're playing the same sport year round, which again, if that's what we want to do, okay, but let's structure in some breaks and it can't just all be competition. We have to develop these kids as athletes in training. In fact, depending on the age, they should be doing much more training than they are competition. You learn, you grow, you develop in training. Um, and then competition is an opportunity to put those skills um, at, to test those skills. Right. And so I'm going to move myself up here a little bit. 
All right. Let's look at how kids are active and we'll break it down by income. Again, if you're watching us on YouTube, it's a little bit easier to see here. But I don't know if it's if it's necessarily a shock that as the social economic status improves, the inactivity of kids tends to go down, right? So if you're at a income level of $25,000 or less, 33% of those kids kids aged 6 to 12 are inactive. If you make a household income of 100,000 or more, you know, only about 10% of those kids are inactive. So social economic status plays a big part in that. And, and there's certain reasons why. Um, you know, again, as we think about the professionalization of youth sport and everything's going to organized sport or everything's going, you know, to these club teams, they're just, we're seeing diminishing opportunities for kids to get involved in more grassroots kind of spontaneous level sport. And so if there's going to be a fee for you to get, for you to be able to play, it's going to limit people. It's going to limit kids. You know, for example, my son's playing in this T-ball league this summer and it's $80. And I thought that was a little bit expensive, but I'm thankful that my wife and I have an income where we could spend $80 for him to play T-ball, right? Because I think it's going to be good for him. Um, however, could I see that other families struggle with that? And it's not just the registration fee, but I mean, you got to buy a glove and you've got to buy, um, you know, if, if you don't have long athletic pants and, and possibly cleats or, or other types of tennis shoes. So now you're racking up a bill that's probably closer to $150. Again, for some people, $150, it's not that big a deal. But for others, $150 could be groceries for two weeks, right? So it's, it's about trying to provide other avenues for kids to be active. And I think this is interesting. This research has held standard and consistent for probably the past couple of decades here. But when we research kids and we ask them why they quit a team sport, let's start with the top four reasons for girls and then the top four reasons for boys. Uh, number one for girls, 38% said, I was not having fun. 36% said, I wanted to focus on studying and grades. 27% said, I had a health problem or injury. And 22% said, I wanted to focus more on other clubs and activities. So with that, um, you know, we're going to look at at the top reason here in just a second, but I want to focus on other clubs and activities. That's another reason why we don't want kids just specializing and playing year round in one sport. It doesn't necessarily help with their development. In fact, there's other studies that have shown that um, that kids who grew up playing multiple sports actually have better opportunities to play at elite levels than those who just specialized in one sport. Um, also, kids have different interests and they have other outlets and other things that they want to do, right? And so those should be nourished. Let your child figure out where it is they fit, what they're passionate about. Let's look at boys. 39% said, I was not having fun. So the number one reason for girls and boys, I was not having one fun. 70% of kids quit playing sport by age of 13. Number one reason I wasn't having fun. And when we ask, what stopped being fun about it? One of the top reasons they gave was parents. It's just the parental pressure, right? Whether it's parents pushing their kids um, into the sport, into a sport they don't like, or whether it was parents kind of uh, acting up during games, yelling at coaches, yelling at referees. Again, we're talking about kids here, and we're talking about the development of kids. This isn't opportunities, and, and this isn't about people trying to live vicariously through their children. This is us trying to develop good children who have good um, habits, um, 
good qualities, leadership qualities that they can learn through sport that they can carry with them for the rest of their lives. I'm very, very fortunate. I thought my parents were really good at this. Um, They never pushed us to do anything that we didn't want to do. Their only requirement was if you're going to start it, you've got to finish it right? You're, you're not going to quit. We're not going to develop those quitting muscles where you just um, are, are going to run out on your team, right? But they never forced me uh, into uh, into sports or forced me to do a sport um, to make them feel better about themselves. And, and I'm really fortunate about that. 29% said I had a health problem or injury looking at boys while they quit a t- team sport. So injury, uh, number two for boys, number three for girls. Uh, I wanted to focus more on studying in grades, 26%. So there we go. Girls, um, I wanted to focus more on other clubs and activities was number four. Grades was their number two reason. Even for boys, grades was their number three reason, right? So, you know, what's going to get your child farther? When I would give recruiting seminars, when I was an athletic director, people would ask, well, what can I do for my kid to get a college scholarship? Um, and, you know, they're asking about athletics and say, get good grades. I mean, there are so much more academic money out there than there is athletic money. Get good grades. And 22%, as we look at reason number four for boys, I did not get along with the coach. All right. So as coaches, what are we doing to develop these children? What can we do to make it fun, right? Um, make it serious in the in an appropriate way. You know, so dealing with four-year-olds, I'm going to be the head coach of this four-year-old D-ball team. Um, I know going in, you know, uh, practices are only going to be 45 minutes. And I expect kids are going to, you know, be picking their nose and picking dandelions and looking at the clouds and not paying attention. I'm okay with that. I know that going in, right? Now, they do need to understand, hey, you, we are coming on to a, a, a sport field, right? I was going to say field of competition at that age, not really, all right? But we are coming on to a, a baseball field and, and we're coming on to a baseball field to do a particular thing. So let's practice towards that and, and let's try to get better and let's develop a love for play and a, and a love for, for the game of baseball. But, you know, should you lose your mind and, and get really frustrated and, and doubt yourself as a coach because a kid just wants to, um, I don't know, take off their shoes and um, run around in the outfield. No. All right. That's that's just what kids do. So you've got to find a way to make practices fun. Try to incorporate some games for kids to understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing. So I talked about the privatization of youth sport continuing on. Um, what we're talking about here is as I go to this next slide. And so we've seen new sport funding have been reduced, especially in schools. So, you know, to kind of fill that gap a little bit, we're seeing the rise of club teams. And that's kind of playing into this privatization of youth sports. So summer camps, private lessons, sport academies, club teams. And if we look at the rising costs of youth sport, um, and this is according to USA Today. And I think um, they, they were looking at information from TD Ameritrade. Nearly two out of 10 families are spending more than $1,000 per month on elite youth sports. 20% of families spending $1,000 or more a month on a youth, elite youth sport, $12,000 a year, right? As we look at the amount that parents spend on their child's athletics, uh, $100 to $499, that's the majority, about 63% of people spend $100 to $499, to $500 to $999, 18%, $1,000 to or more, 8%. So we see 37% of parents 
are spending $500 or more per month on youth sport. And think about that. That's another thing that comes up in the research when we're talking with children and, and when we're surveying children is they feel that pressure. And $500 a month is $6,000 a year. That's a lot of money. And not every family has that money. I think I was reading a study, you know, I can't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but it was a huge percentage of Americans don't even have $400 liquid in a savings account for an emergency. So now we're going to be spending $500 a month on youth sport. Parents are going into debt. I've seen debt totals as high as $20,000 on a credit card for their kid to play on this particular club team. And the hopes, the hopes that they play college athletics. You know, the largest division in NCAA athletics is Division III. We don't give athletic scholarships at Division III. And I work at a D3 school, right? And that's the largest division. So again, the odds of getting a college scholarship are so, so small for athletics. So where do we really need to be putting our focus? I love sport. I think youth and kids participating in sport is fantastic because what we see is when kids stop being active, it makes them more prone to being overweight and obese later in life, right? What can we do to change the game of youth sport and make it fun, make it something they can continue to do for the rest of their life? I am a competitor. I love to compete. I was a former college coach, right? Um, high school, um, middle school, call, AAU. I've done it all, right? I love winning. I love to compete. But we have to put it in the proper um, priority and context for children. Right? So again, I've already kind of talked about this a little bit about the increased funding for youth sport after Title IX. Um, today, we're seeing two and five girls play sport where before Title IX, it was only one in 27. And the same benefits that we see for sport for boys, we're seeing for girls. I already talked about that. So I'm going to go ahead and continue to move on. The most popular sport with kids, as far as participant, is um, basketball, number one. And these are kids six to 12. Um, baseball, number two. Soccer being number three. Um, I have seen some data, though, if you broaden out those ages a little bit more. If you start a little bit early, even start from four years old, soccer becomes a lot more popular. But uh, basketball, baseball, soccer are the top three. So let's get in what I really want to talk about here in this episode with something new called the late specialization model. And this has come out here in about the past two or three decades as we really started to research youth sport and what can we do to better develop athletes and make sure we keep things fun and also help develop them better physically and mentally. So this late specialization model has come about. And I first learned about this, I think, in uh, 2008 when I was going through my master's in, in uh, sports science. And it starts with active start. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you should be able to see this. Um, I'll do my best for those listening. Hopefully you're listening on Spotify um, to explain this. It starts with active start. So we're looking at boys and girls, zero to six years old. And this is just, we're doing things at home, maybe daycare, preschool, community recreation, some type of sport program. It's not necessarily competitive at all. 
the focus on this is just learning basic movement skills such as running, jumping, wheeling, twisting, kicking, throwing, catching. That's all it is. Think about the ABCs. We're learning about the ABCs from zero to six, agility, balance, coordination, speed. This is what I do with my son at home all the time. And um, I really kind of let him pick it. I say, hey, what do you want to do today? You, you want to play some baseball? Um, do you want to play some basketball and his little tykes? Do you want to throw the football or none of the above? You can do something else. We'll play Paw Patrol. We'll play cars, right? Um, we can bounce in your bouncy house that we have in the basement. What is it that you want to do? We're just giving we're we're just giving them an opportunity to kind of learn their bodies, learn movement. There's no competition and no pressure here. We just need to start getting kids an opportunity or or, or letting them learn how to move at the same time making sure you keep it fun. And then we go to the next stage, which for boys from six to nine, females six to eight. And again, these are broad. For some individuals, it's going to be a little bit different. Some kids are going to be able to specialize a little bit earlier than others. Keep that in mind. Fundamentals, fun in F-U-N, capital letters, fundamentals, right? And so we may play these in, in schools, um, thinking about PE classes, community recreation, uh, possible sport clubs. Now they're kind of getting involved in sport at a low level, um, still at home, you know, people who are leading this kind of like with active start parents, um, you know, teachers, if it's kindergarten or, or PE teachers, um, volunteer coaches, if they're participating in a youth sport team or other recreation leaders. So what's really important this, and I talked about it earlier in the show, unstructured play kids have to have some unstructured play where there's no rules. And it may not even be an actual sport. It could just be kicking a ball around or making up a new sport. As kids, my brother and I, we kind of had like a baseball kickball hybrid game that we would play together, right? There were there wasn't any rules. I don't think there was any scoring. It was just something that we enjoyed doing. It was just unstructured play and it was fun. And we were still learning sports skills as we were playing fun. Now you can start to bring some structured play into this, but we want to keep the season short right? Um, we're really continuing to look at our overall movement skills and developing athleticism, all right? Let's start to kind of fine-tune a little bit more of those motor skills there. So the competition, very, very minimal. We want much more practice than we're having competition, um, trying to keep it localized where we're not traveling, you know, if we need to modify the formats, the equipment at all to fit kids, we do that in this level, but all activity has to be fun-based, we're not necessarily keeping score. We're not keeping uh, standings. We're not keeping statistics. We're not worried about any of that. We're giving kids an appreciation for play and keeping it fun. And if you can give kids an appreciation for play and we're not pushing them too hard, too fast, the chances of them burning out and stopping um, stop playing sports as they get older really starts to decrease. So let's keep it fun. And then we go to the next level, learning to train boys, nine to 12, females, eight to 11, girls tend to um, mature just a little bit faster than boys. Um, maybe we start getting into middle school, probably not just yet now, but we're still doing things through our school community uh, recreation sports club and home. Um, again, just like the fundamentals, it's really pretty similar to fundamentals um, where you're playing and who's leading these things. 
But the training, now we can make practice a little bit more regular. Maybe we're going to practice at least once a week, if not twice a week. And if we want to break things up seasonally, we can. So, okay, we're going to play baseball in the summer. We're going to play basketball in the winter. And we're going to play soccer in the spring, right? So try to give kids multiple sports, find what it is that they're interested in. Um, and we're going to continue with the overall sports skills development. So maybe in fundamentals, we're teaching them the fundamentals of the sport. Now we can take it just a step further. And how can we actually start to um, master some of these fundamentals a little bit more, right? Competition, it's more occasional. So I would say we're more, we want to keep training at about a 75% to 25% competition. Um, we're going to play kind of just with our local team. Again, if we need to modify the format a little bit, we can do, um, you know, on here, it says 70% to 30% competition. I like 75, 25, but we're really kind of close on the same thing. Next stage, training to train. Now things start to get a little bit more serious. So we understand the fundamentals and we've got a good um, background with the fundamentals of our sport. Now we can start training to actually become a little, to have mastery in sport specific skills. So we're looking at boys 12 to 16, females 11 to 15. Um, we might start playing um, sport in our middle school, right? Still, and if not, if a kid's not good enough, that's fine. No big deal. Put them in a community rec program. That's okay. Right. Or another sport club program. That's okay. Right. The leaders at this level, teacher, rec leaders, volunteer, professional coaches, possibly um, practice is going to be a little bit more regular and a little bit more structured. Again, try to make it seasonal as much as you can, but we're going to structure practice a little bit more than we would in learning to train. Maybe learning to train, we're going to um, concentrate more on games and having fun. Training to train, we're going to kind of set it up more like a practice that you would see at a, at a high school level, right? And we're going to make these skills more sport-specific. So we're not just necessarily learning the fundamentals of how to do it, but what are some sport-specific skills that we're going to be able to develop at this level? right? Um, competition, we can make a little bit more regular. So regular, so about 60% training, 40% competition. Uh, if we're going to be traveling kind of in our region a little bit, that would make sense. And, and obviously that would go along with being on a middle school team. We are probably traveling within like an hour radius of where you're at. Okay. Going to the next level. Now we're training to compete. Um, now we're at boys 16 to 23, females 15 to 21. We're at the varsity high school level up to uh, the college level. So obviously a lot of uh, the competition is going to be school-based. Um, and this is really kind of where we start to lose kids because now you've got cuts at the high school level and now they're not good enough to play. So I would still be an advocate. What can we do to keep kids active? Are there other opportunities recreationally or maybe even a, a different opportunity or a different sport your kid wasn't in that they want to play in at the recreational level, right? Things start to get a little bit more serious where we see school personnel are the ones kind of leading these practice, even professional coaches. And we're bringing in like sports science scientists, um, uh, athletic trainers, doctors, nutritional consultants, um, personal trainers that gets a little bit more serious at this point, because now we're training um, to compete and um, compete at a little bit higher level. And um, the ratio flips. So now our training might be 40% and then the uh, competition might be 60%. So now we're starting to travel during the summers. 
we're on club teams. But you can see we don't want to do that until kids kind of get into that those teenage years, right? You know, 15 for girls, 16 for boys, maybe a little bit sooner if they can develop and, and mentally handle it a little bit more, right? Um, but um, at this point, training has been seasonal. We're playing multiple sports. And now if we want to start to periodize the schedule and we focus in one sport, we can start to do that here where we've kind of got, like I said, your macro um, training schedule of what we do over the year. And then what are the micro schedules, <clears throat> excuse me, within that, right? Where, you know, leading up to the uh, season, it's going to be intense training. We get into the season, um, Training is still intense, but it's going to be more sport, sport focused. As we get later into the season, things start to get a little less intense and we want to focus on maintenance. After the season, we focus on rest and recovery and then building back up and then that continual uh, rise until the season starts again. Okay. And then we go to training to win, right? This next uh, level up. Training to win, now it really becomes about competition. So boys and girls, we're looking at post high school, 18 and above. Now, um, you know, the competition might be 25%, train, um, I'm sorry, training 25%, competition 75%, right? We've got regular structured practice, it's planned, it's periodized, and we're really focusing on one sport. So we're taking training to compete, we're taking it to that next level, and we're bringing in professional coaches and these integrated sport teams that we're with year over year, right? And then there's going to come a day where the phone stops ringing, right? You're going to play your last game comp at a competitive level. And that's where we get active for life. And so hopefully we've stayed along this model here where we have the appreciation for play. We have a love of sport. We haven't burned ourselves out. We haven't had these repetitive use injuries because we only specialized in one sport. Now injuries are going to happen, but we haven't done it to the point where, you know, I keep having arm problems over and over and over because I pitch, you know, 300 innings a year, um, we want to retire and now hopefully we continue to be active for life and we find something that we enjoy that we can do for the rest of our life. Golf, tennis, swimming, biking, walking, hiking, um, whatever it is. For me, um, I like to run. I'm also a triathlete. That keeps me competitive and that keeps me active for life. And a lot of that's because I had an appreciation for play and um, I felt that, um, the way I was developed as an athlete, um, I was never burned out. Now, the only sport I didn't really enjoy playing was soccer. That's just because I stunk at it. Right? Um, but I never really felt burned out with any sport um, because there were a few sports that I tried that that I didn't necessarily like. And my parents were like, hey, that's fine. You've got to finish it out. You made a commitment. But at the end, you don't have to play again. Let's find something that you do like. And so I really appreciate them for doing that, even though they didn't know anything about this late specialization model. Um you know, I, I was one of the 99% who never played pro sport, but I'm very, very thankful that I'm not one of the 50% of uh, adult Americans that are overweight. Right? So really appreciate my parents for that. So a better way to develop youth sport, the late specialization model. Um, if you have questions, please reach out to us on our Instagram, on our Twitter at FOF underscore show. Um, and if there's anything that you want to debate about or talk about or or learn more about this, I would love to interact with you there. FOF underscore show, Instagram and Twitter.
Okay, I teased it earlier, and now it's time for our dream job segment of the show. And this is where I, I scour the internet, and I try to find you a dream job in sport. I'll show you where it's posted, how you can find these jobs, um, what are the qualifications, and hopefully give you some, some tips if you're interested in working in sport um, and possibly landing that dream job one day. And so we've gone back, we've looked at job boards like Teamwork Online, We've looked at um, LinkedIn. Um, where else have we looked? We looked at the NCAA marketplace, all great places to try to find a job in sport. Today, I'm going to do a little bit, something a little bit different. And so if you're looking to land a job in sport, if you can't find anything that you like on a, on a job board, whether it be for a league or a, a wide job board, like uh, Teamwork Online or WorkInSports.com, then my recommendation, just go to the team that you're actually interested in. So continuing with our baseball theme, and because it's my show, continuing with our Cub theme here, uh, if you're with us on YouTube, we're looking at the Cubs website, right? So we go to uh, Cubs.com. And when in these team jobs uh, or in these team websites, a lot of times they'll post jobs there that may not be available on other job boards. The hard part is you have to hunt and find them. So some of the places that you can look at, if you look at this banner up here, everything from tickets all the way over to Wrigley Field, if you're looking at it from left to right, you know, sometimes if you go to something like um, maybe the three dots over here, they'll have something that says jobs, careers, employment. Um, sometimes there might be a tab right up here that says team. I think for the Cubs, um, I don't see one here. They've got roster. Um, sometimes under team, it might say uh, front office, and then you click on front office and they'll have some careers posted. Um, if you don't see anything up top that's listed, one of the things you can do is scroll all the way to the bottom of these team websites. So I'm going to scroll to the bottom here of cubs.com and I see down here job opportunities. So again, if you're looking for a job in sport, but you don't want to try to filter through jobs that don't apply to you on a big job board, go directly to the team or organization that you're interested in working on or working with. So I'm going to click on job opportunities here. And we're looking at the Cubs and they've got a, a few different things you can choose from. So they've got two opportunities here with the Cubs where you can look at front office opportunities that are going to be full-time jobs. Um, they got part-time seasonal opportunities. So if you're looking for something in the summer, if you want to be an usher, if you want to work in the cleaning crew, concessions, something like that, um, those jobs are a great way to get started in sports. So especially if you're a, um, a student, or even if you're a full-time, if you work full-time, um, but you want to, outside of sport, and you want to get started in sport, um, work on the weekends, work for a team on the weekends, because one, you're getting some experience in sport, but two, you know, I, I highly um, subscribe to the proximity principle where you're going to be around people who are going to help you network in those positions one day you want to get into, you know, odds are, even if you're doing like concessions, like food and beverage for a team, um, you might not think that might be a front track to the front office, but your boss is probably going to know somebody on that front office side where they may be able to get you an introduction. You know, it's on you to actually work hard, prove yourself, and then hopefully 
earn their trust of their referral. So you got a couple jobs there and then you got Marquee 360, Marquee Development. Um, the owners of the Cubs are into some other things with um, looking at sales and partnership with their Marquee 360. Um, they own uh, Marquee Network and they own um, some, some buildings, some mixed use retail as well. So we're gonna click over here with Cubs front office opportunities. Okay. And what's interesting is when teams partner with a, a job board like um, workinsports.com, this will just link to their careers on their workinsports.com um, webpage, basically. This one here, they use Workday. So this looks more um, like the Cubs use kind of like a, an, an internal type of job posting board, maybe not something like with a shotgun blast, like a, a teamwork online or a workinsports.com. Um, so sometimes I can work to your advantage. And this is why I can work to your advantage on looking at the team websites, because this might be the only place that they're posted. So the number of applicants are going to be a lot smaller going through this than if you were just waiting for something to pop up on a, a workinsports.com, teamwork online, Indeed, LinkedIn, whatever it would be. So you can see the jobs that they have listed here. And for this week's dream job, I wanted to look at an event manager for the North Loop Green, right? So the event manager, the North Loop Green, this is for, again, for the Cubs, is a new mixed-use development outside of Target Field in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, North Loop Green will serve as a juncture creativity, ideas, business, and social life. The development includes 350,000 square feet of creative office space, 17,000 square feet of food and beverage, 450 luxury residential units. Every aspect of North Loop Green is designed for unrivaled living, working and gathering experiences, including a newly programmed one-acre communal green space serving as North Loop's town square. So you might be thinking like, well, this isn't necessarily something in sport and it's not for the Cubs. It's up in Minnesota. Why would they be posting something like this? And what you have to understand about, especially about professional sport teams, is that they're usually, these teams are one business or one company um, that's under the umbrella of a bunch of other different companies. So take, for example, the the Kraft Group out of New England. Robert Kraft owns the New England Patriots. He's also into um, manufacturing. He's got some warehouses. He's into logistics. Um, I believe he still does, if he didn't already, um, owns the New England Revolution, um, uh, Gillette Stadium. Like all of these fall under the Kraft Group with the Patriots. So if you're going to be uh, an employee of the Patriots. Yeah, you're working for the Patriots, but you're working under that umbrella of the craft group. And we're seeing that here with Marquee, um, which is one of these kind of umbrella companies or, or one of these companies under the umbrella of the owners of the Chicago Cub. So you might not necessarily be working right for the team, but you're working under the same ownership group. And that's what this position would be doing here at the event manager. So again, maybe it's not something where like, oh yeah, this is definitely sport. And, you know, I get to hang out with my favorite players, which that doesn't necessarily happen in a career in sport. Um, and I get to go to all the games, all that. Um, but it could be that opportunity that you've been wanting if your dream was to work for somebody like the Cubs, you know, go prove yourself, do a great job. And then you're probably going to be in line when something does open for your favorite team 
to be in the pole position for an interview there. So for this role here, you're going to be responsible for developing, curating, supporting all events and programs at North Loop Green. Uh, this includes the categories of music, sports, film, arts, festivals, family events, community programs, holiday events, and other special programs. The event manager is responsible for engaging on all ancillary activities related to events held at the Green, including tasks related to marketing, public relations, sponsorship, activation, food and beverage, daily operations, and the execution development-wide initiatives. So think about that. You're working on marketing, PR, sponsorship activation. We've talked about activation in a previous podcast, food and beverage, operations, overseeing staff, and execution of all the different events within one event, right? Well, isn't that exactly what you would be doing if you were working game day operations for a big team? You've got concessions, you've got staff, you've got um, sponsorship, hospitality, marketing, all these um, experiences that you would get as the event manager at North Loop Green, you're going to be able to use that experience for career in sport one day. So you go there and you crush this and you do a great job. When a similar position might open up in Chicago with the Cubs, they're going to see you've already done this. You've gotten those reps. You know how to manage big events. And I'm telling you something, uh, you know, 81 home games per year are with 30,000 people coming through um, the gate is a huge event. So please, when you see jobs like this, and they might just be on the edge of sport or right outside of sport, these are great opportunities for you to get the skills that you need to land a career in sport. So that's why I wanted to share that one with you today and kind of give you a little tip when you're looking for a job in sport. Don't just limit yourself to one job board. Think about where it is you want to work. What team would you be interested in working for? Go to their website directly and you might see some things posted there that you might not be able to find at other places. So I hope you enjoyed the show this week. I love bringing it to you. Please make sure you follow us on our social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram at FOF show. Um, check us out. Listen to us on Spotify. I hope you all have a great week. Love each other. Love God. Be a good sport. We'll see you next Friday.